expecting Pastor Thomas to preach today. Uh, he was, uh, I think on Friday, diagnosed with COVID. And I'm certain that he would appreciate your prayers very much. Uh, and I'm very happy to be his plan B. So uh, I've reached back into my sermon barrel and, and the sermon I preached, uh, I think about four years ago. And I'd like to read the text to you. It's Joshua chapter 5, verse 13 to chapter 6, verse 2. I ask you to hear the Lord's word. Now, when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. And then uh, the Lord goes on to explain to Joshua how he was to occupy the city of Jericho. I think most of you know that in the scriptures of the New Testament, there's a good number of stories, uh, true historical narratives, where various individuals either bow at the feet of Jesus or collapse or throw themselves on the ground at the feet of Jesus. This happens very early in the life of Jesus when the Infant Jesus had just gotten to a sufficient age where he could be called a child. The wise men from the east came to visit him. When they came face to face with the child Christ, we are told that they fell at his feet and worshipped him. There are two more at the feet of Jesus stories that especially set up the theme for our study of Joshua today. One is the narrative where Jesus heals ten lepers. If you remember the story, only one of those lepers takes the time to return to Jesus. He falls at his feet and with a loud voice, we're told he praised Jesus. And then we're told he expressed his gratitude to the Lord. The second story is a very familiar one. Jesus is visiting along with his disciples in the house of Mary and Martha of Bethany. These two women were sisters to Lazarus, the one Jesus raised from the dead. And while Martha was busy serving Jesus by preparing a meal, we're told that Mary sat at the Lord's feet to listen to him speak the word of truth. And Jesus said that Mary had chosen the one needful thing, to listen to the Word. So you have these two stories. One is about falling at the feet of Jesus to worship Him. 
And the other is to take the posture of humility at the feet of Jesus to listen to Him. And those dual themes are are in the story of Joshua. What it means to fall down and worship Jesus and what it means to take the posture of humility to listen to Jesus. That is the experience that Joshua has. In fact, Joshua a commander, a a, a courageous soldier, uh, falls at the feet of Jesus to worship him. That might strike you odd when you first hear it for the simple reason that um, Joshua is a book in the Old Testament, and historically Jesus doesn't come on the scene until the New Testament. But it is true, and I hope to show you that as we make our way through this particular study. Joshua is experiencing in this narrative what we often call a Christophany, which is a pre-incarnate appearance of the Lord Jesus in the Old Testament. Let's see how the story uh, shapes that truth. We begin with reading verses 13 and 14 again. Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or are you for our enemies? Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence. It's important to know that at this moment in redemptive history, as the Bible is making slow progress toward the New Testament, at this particular moment in history, God is ready to fulfill His covenant promise. It's a promise that reaches all the way back to Abraham, where you remember the Lord said to Abraham, I will make your name great. I'll make a great nation out of you. I will give you a land flowing with milk and honey, referring to the promised land. And through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Obviously, that nations of the world being blessed was fulfilled in Jesus. But at this moment, he is ready to lead them into the promised land. Under Moses, he has led them out of Egyptian slavery and through the wilderness. Moses died. Joshua took his place. Joshua has already led Israel across the Jordan River to occupy the promised land. The first place that the battle would take would be Jericho. And we see as this narrative opens, Joshua is just outside the city walls of Jericho. War is imminent. Why was Joshua there? The text really doesn't tell us we can register a couple of guesses. Maybe he's on a spy mission doing reconnaissance, out there looking for weak spots in the fortified city of Jericho, coming up with his strategy. Maybe he's simply praying, seeking God for wisdom so that he does what God wants him to do. Perhaps a little bit of both. Whatever the case may be, we do know 
that while Joshua is near the city of Jericho, he suddenly sees a man, a man dressed as a soldier, a man ready to fight because his sword is in his hands. Quickly, Joshua grabs his own sword, rushes up to the man, and he says, friend or foe, are you on our side or the enemy's side? Whose side are you on? And this man says, I am the commander of the army of the Lord. And there was something about the tone of his voice, and perhaps he said other things too. Whatever the case may be, Joshua at that moment realized that this commander was a divine person. And he falls at his feet, and he worships him. I am persuaded that he has fallen at the feet of Jesus in one of his pre-incarnate appearances in the Old Testament. And they do happen from time to time. The Lord himself appeared in physical form to Abraham and spoke to him beside the trees of Myra, talking about his impending judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah and the rescue of his nephew Lot. Later, there is this fantastic scene toward the end of Genesis where he wrestles, the Lord comes in physical form and wrestles with Jacob by the Jabbok River. There's even another story where the Lord physically enters into a cave where there is a wine press and Gideon is there and he provides words of guidance and comfort for him. No doubt you are familiar with the story of the three Hebrews who were cast into the fiery furnace. And when the king looked in, he saw a fourth person whom he identifies as someone like a son of God. Jesus was in the furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And finally, you have that very familiar vision of Isaiah the prophet where the seraphs are singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord, and he is high and exalted as the supreme king of heaven. You go to John's gospel, and we're told Isaiah saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. So Jesus shows up in the Old Testament with some measure of frequency in a physical form, talking to people in these very real places. Now, the question that we need to ask is, how can we have an understanding? How can we know that Joshua is at the feet of Jesus? There's some clues that we need to look at that are embedded in the passage. Now, I want to tell you, we're going to do just a little bit of theology here. But remember, the word theology means the study of God, getting to know God better. And doctrine or theology always leads to doxology, to worship, to praise. So let's look at some of these clues that are here. And the first one is this. Joshua worships. Joshua reveres the, this divine commander. 
we see this in verse 14, where it says, Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence. The ESV reads, He fell to the ground in worship. Reverence and worship are equal. What is fascinating about that is that worship belongs exclusively to God. If this divine command, if this commander had appeared but was not divine, Joshua would be guilty of committing the sin of idolatry. But he's not an idol worshiper. He's not an idolater because this person is a divine person. It's interesting that he gives Joshua the title, I am the commander of the Lord's army. That is not referring to the army of the people of Israel. It's a special phrase that in the Old Testament mainly refers to the heavenly army, to the heavenly host, or to the angels. I am the, I am the commander of the Lord's army. And the commander is, in fact, the Lord. It's interesting, in Scripture, whenever an angel is worshipped, that worship is rebuffed, it's rejected. You recall at the end of Revelation, after John has seen the glories of heaven, he's so overwhelmed that he bows at the feet of an angel and starts the worship, and starts to worship. And the angel rebukes John and says, worship God only. So Joshua believes that this person is worthy of his reverence, is worthy of his praise, his worship. And the commander does not rebuff him. He receives his worship. He accepts it because he is the Lord. A second clue is the fact that the presence of the commander makes the ground on which Joshua is standing holy. And we see this in verse 15. The commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy. Now there's nothing holy in and of itself about the dirt on which Joshua's feet is planted. What makes this ground holy is the presence of the one who is himself holy. It's interesting that there are only two stories in the Bible where ground is referred to as sanctified or made holy by the presence of the Holy One. This is the second. The first one goes back to the time when Moses was called into ministry. You remember he's watching his father-in-law's sheep on the backside of the Midianite desert when suddenly he sees a bush and the bush is consumed with flames, but the flames do not consume the bush. It's a strange sight and Moses comes near and the Lord himself speaks to Moses from the bush, and he says, Moses, Moses, remove your sandals for the place where you are standing 
is holy. And the same command is issued to Joshua. Because the Lord himself is holy. And we recall to mind that the holiness of God refers both to his sovereignty and to his sinlessness. He is majestic in his supremacy and he is burning with purity. He is unequaled in majesty and unspoiled by sin. He is both sovereign and sinless. That is the essence of his holiness. So this one before whom Joshua vows is a divine person. And we come to the last clue. The the divine name Lord is applied to this commander. In verse 14, the commander simply says uh, to Joshua, I am the Lord of the armies of heaven. I'm the Lord, the commander of the Lord's army. But if you move down to chapter 6, and please understand, even though there's a chapter break there, the story continues. Joshua is still outside the city walls of Jericho, and he's still having this conversation with the divine commander. And here's what we read. It's exciting, actually. Now, the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites, No one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the Lord is doing the talking. Here the divine commander is called and bears the title Lord. What's interesting about that title, again, bear with me, is this also goes back to the burning bush moment where Moses begins to list his excuses as to why he shouldn't be asked to go and lead Israel. And one of the excuses goes like this, well, what if they ask me your name? You are to reply, the Lord says, I am who I am, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And that name, I am, is translated several thousand times in the Old Testament as Lord with all capital letters. That's how you know. It's it's the name, I am. It's a name that means God is eternal and unchanging in his covenant love and faithfulness. He'll always be faithful to us. He will always fulfill his love promises for he is from everlasting to everlasting And there's no variation or shifting shadow with him. He is unchanging. Now, if you fast forward to the New Testament, to John 8 specifically, where Jesus is having this debate with these religious leaders, and he looks at them and says, your father Abraham rejoiced at seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. They sort of scratch their heads. You're not yet 50 years old. How can you say, Father Abraham saw your day? And he looked at these people and he said, Before Abraham was born, I am. I am. So they pick up rocks to stone him because they knew he was claiming to be the Lord of the burning bush. I'm that God. 
And so he goes on to say, I am the way and the truth and the life. I am the true vine. I am the good shepherd and so on. I'm God. I'm the Lord of the burning bush. And all of this I am for you. And so you take those clues. He's worshipped. He's holy. He bears the name, I am the Lord. And so we have every reason to believe that while Joshua did not know everything we today know about Jesus, he knew he was worshiping a divine person. And that person, I am persuaded, is Jesus. And for that reason, Jesus deserves our worship. And he deserves that we listen to him. And with that in mind, it's important to notice next that Joshua asked Jesus two questions. Before he fell down in worship, Joshua rushes up to this uh, commander and he says, are you for us or for our enemies? He gets an interesting answer. Neither. And he's not being lukewarm. I'm, I'm, it's not about whose side I'm going to take. The issue is not sides. The issue is sovereignty. Joshua, it is not my purpose to let you create your plans and how you want to go about your life, and I'll just enter into it and bless whatever you plan. I have not come to take your side. I've come to remind you that I'm in absolute control. I'm the sovereign one. I am, the, I am the commander of the Lord's armies. I am the Lord, and I am your Lord. Alexander McLaren put it ever so well. We have a right to be sure God is on our side when we have made sure that we are on God's side. And so Joshua falls at the feet of the Lord a courageous soldier committing an act of total surrender to the Lord and His will. And that brings us to the second question. After he realized he was a divine person and he fell at his feet, Joshua looks at this commander, this Lord, and he says, what message does my Lord have for his servant. Now there's a question. What message does the Lord have for his servant? I'm only a servant. It is for me to take the posture of humility and ask you, what do you want to say to me? What do you want me to do? How do you want me to act? To remove your sandals and to be at the feet of Jesus in worship like the leper, but also to be at the feet of Jesus to listen like Mary of Bethany. The Bible over and over again calls us to be a listening people for the simple reason our God is a God who speaks and we are to listen. You remember that moment of transfiguration when Jesus is on the side of a mountain with three of his disciples. 
when suddenly and without warning, His divine glory breaks through and shines forth from His humanity. And the disciples are overwhelmed by the holy glory of Christ. That's when a voice from heaven speaks and says, This is my beloved Son. Listen to Him. Later in the Gospels, Jesus tells the parable of the four soils. The first three soils, hard soil, rocky soil, thorny soil, are people who only superficially hear the Word of God and it does not produce a crop. But there is that fourth soil that is good soil. And listen to what Jesus says about it. This is Luke 8, verse 15. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by perseverance produce a crop. Oh, that we would pray that God would create in us more and more each day noble and good hearts that love to hear the Word of God, to listen to it, and to receive it and to retain it, that it might produce the fruit of righteousness in our lives. Have you ever been in a meeting, and perhaps you are sitting there, and all of a sudden you experience something of mind drift? And when people look at you, they can tell. And if someone ever elbowed you or shouted out, you're not listening, Mitchell. I hear that from time to time at my house. You're not listening, Mitchell. You're not listening. If God were to ever ask us that question, Mitchell, are you listening to my voice in the Word? Are you depending on the Holy Spirit to eliminate your mind to understand the Word? Are we listening at the feet of Jesus? Are we worshiping at the feet of Jesus? It is what we are called to do. May we pray together. Eternal Father in heaven, for the glory of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, make us more and more a worshiping people. Make us more and more a listening people. Help us to take the posture of humility, to be before you in joyous worship and careful listening, that we might be hearers and doers of the Word of God. We pray in your name. Amen.